This is the show. This is the party. Nobody chose their mortal body. The skin were in. The flag we're under. We're blending in to one another. Welcome, folks. This is the Strange Tonic Podcast. Coming at you a day late, and I apologize for that. I've had some technical difficulties. My beloved iMac, which I've used for years to not just edit this podcast and write for the blog, but really just have fun on it. It's it might be done. And that's that's sad, but it's it's just a thing. It's a thing that made things more fun and more convenient, but we'll we'll go from there. I am now using my MacBook, which is a little bit smaller, but, you know, it's still quite excellent and just less convenient. As always, we are featuring music on this podcast. comes from our friends, Panastral. Check them out on panastral.com. Pan Astral on Bandcamp, Pan Astral on iTunes, Pan Astral over your digital music. And uh, yeah, they're still doing virtual live shows as all things COVID are still not just happening, but man, it's getting worse. Uh, and to do another plug, if you like our graphic, which I love our graphic, Michelle loves our graphic, my mother loves our graphic. It was courtesy, it is courtesy, I should say, of our friend Alyssa, who just launched a new business venture, and we will conclude a link to it in the show notes, Little Spruce. She does great work, obviously, which you can see in our graphic. It's it's, it's quite good, and uh, yeah, check it out. From there... Please take care of yourselves. Holidays are always a stressful time. And 2020, which March will never stop, and COVID and the election. Uh, I don't want to really go into that too much, but it's not fun. This isn't games. Playing with our democracy will not help anybody. It's not a well, eh, whatever. It's a game. It isn't a game. Democracy is hard, as we're seeing. It's We're going through a stress test. And, uh, yeah, don't let that happen. Just go, yeah, I, I'm not happy. If you're not happy that uh, Biden won, it's still not over. But, uh, well, it is over. But it's still not over from the crappy, anti-democratic, illiberal bullshit attacks on the election but it should be and you should not be on that side i hate to be so direct about it but it's true and you probably know it from there this is a fun 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 recording i enjoyed doing it with michelle it was uh one that took a little more We'll call it surgery than I originally thought it would, but I, I really think it was a good one, and I hope you enjoy it. And again, take care of yourself. Be well. When
Happy holidays, and we'll see you when you see podcasts a bit more i was telling uh, mm-hmm. my wife that it's somewhat because like i don't even know what you call these people anymore because how do you call like maybe an ex-republican or like because i don't think it's fair necessarily to call them conservatives because i think that should be reserved for actual trumpers at this point because they they gotta own it and i think never trump is only gonna last so long because uh Dun, 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 as I mean to get into on this podcast, uh, I don't want to be discussing Trump. He's a symptom. He's basically, he's a result. He's not the, uh, he didn't cause everything. Like, they yeah. created the environment and the atmosphere right. where, as uh, my mom would tell us when we were kids, we were annoying, annoying her and asking her, why is this? Why is that? She goes, because atmospheric conditions are correct, so are for. And in this case, uh, if the political conditions are correct because the Republican <laughs> Party made it so, that Donald Trump could rise and then stay in power. Uh, <clears throat> mm-hmm. But uh, so it's been nice to listen to a guy that admittedly uh, has a familiar accent being from kind of the southern Wisconsin area and who, okay. <laughs> while I may have like policy disagreements or maybe a different like, kind of interpretation of why we got somewhere like or how we did. We don't disagree on reality or facts mm. or the general kind of idea that people shouldn't be. Uh, I will say this, though. Shouldn't be shitty. He does, for being a nice Wisconsin man, he does curse more than I do, which was surprising. Like, not just curse more than I do on the <laughs> podcast, but, like, curse more than I do at work. <laughs> that, that, uh, I don't know what what level of cursing you're at uh, these days, but <laughs> that could either be a lot for <laughs> for some people and maybe not very much for others. I don't know. <laughs> it depends. Obviously, I spend maybe about half my time talking to customers and another 25% talking with uh people who i'm their customer so unless i mm-hmm. know them quite well i don't even use casual swearing even then it's kind of yeah you, you feel it out but yeah uh, absolutely i'm not beyond dropping several double wtfs in one day so there's there's that <laughs> but yeah so that was like there the you go now we have part. a gauge um the national review thing was actually sent to me my friend ben because we're kind of just going at this like, yeah, uh, when you've lost National Review, which went pretty far enablist, and they're going, oh, right, yeah, this is just silly. Oh, uh-huh. is that, oh, that Bulwark piece, if you have a chance to read it, like, he lays out, Tim Miller does, lays out what it would be like to take everything that Giuliani and Sidney Powell said at that press conference where uh, that resulted in 
some people are saying that's not hair dye, but whatever that is running down his face, um, mm-hmm. if you were to take it seriously, it's it makes it even more crazy. Like, you know, the Democrats uh, <laughs> managed to do this only in one state and also have contingents. It, it's it's worth a read. Um, the Washington Post one, um, I guess we just talk about this briefly now, is a friend of mine that I've talked about in this podcast before, he sent me this article back, I guess it's an opinion piece, back in early September, and said, sounds like extortion to me, because the piece mentions violence, but apart Mm. from their not being violent so far, uh, the other part has proven quite prophetic, really. And there were other studies that said the same thing, that if Biden did not win by a rather substantial margin, not saying it was a huge like victory by any means, like we were obviously all biting our nails, right? Uh, that it would have caused more problems because in this instance, not only did he not have a Florida, he would have had to have multiple Floridas, but nothing was that close where, I don't know, I need to actually read the decision, but I don't know if you saw the... <laughs> judge's response to Rudy's argument that he made uh, about a, actually just a week ago from today where he from all accounts from the lawyers I've talked to made a, not just an ass of himself but would have been laughed out of a <laughs> year one uh, law school classroom and the judge kind of let him have it oh, in the geez. decision and you know how can you ask us to uh-huh. throw out hundreds of thousands of votes because and the, the case boiled down to this. It was two people who didn't get their absentee ballots voted, like, or absentee ballots submitted in time in their particular county, but had they been in a different county, would have been accepted. And obviously the mm, remedy there is to just count their votes, done, not throw out the votes from Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> from yeah. all of Philadelphia. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other was uh, actually from today. I That uh, Yokai Bankler, who I mentioned here, was one of the authors of that network propaganda book I've told you about from, what did I read that, last year? Mm, and okay. So he was on the Lawfare yeah, it was last year. blog, which basically what I did was go in a rabbit hole of podcasts that I enjoy that are informative and mention other podcasts. That uh-huh. was kind of where I went. <laughs> was just Oh, like, sure. Yeah. That's an easy trail to follow. I get it. And I've noticed, I don't know about you, Michelle, when you do this at work, but if I put on a podcast or an audiobook, I get customers that want stuff. So for me, it's, uh, it seems beneficial <laughs> on both ends. You know, if I get interrupted, but I get interrupted, I have a chance to make more money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like they know that you have like some downtime or yep. something, and so you get interrupted. I totally get it. Yep. <laughs> Every time I try to submit insurance claims, the phone starts ringing off the hook. <laughs> Good deal. Okay, I was I just we, checking. We were fine yeah, pretty so early, I, so I, I opened our notes. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Now, um, I I uh, did glance at almost all of these articles, and so we'll provide links in the show notes, obviously. Um, it is kind of interesting seeing how some of these conservative outlets have the tide has turned a little bit, like in a very 
mellow, um, kind of uh, like logical way, <laughs> which I guess I'm kind of surprised by, in all honesty. Yes, uh, in in fact, cause I, I, we're going to get to that in a little bit, um, because okay. Okay. I think it's a, uh, as you can see from my questions later on, it's like, where do we go from here? But yeah. I think before we get into it, it's worth noting, did you see what uh, our uh, outgoing president, like one of the things he posted on Twitter this morning, or retweeted? No, I didn't see anything today. What What was the word? I didn't actually watch the video because I don't, I'm trying to be obviously less, not just less Twitter, but trying to be less online. I don't really want mm -hmm. to be able to explain all these weird things that are happening in the right wing, extremely online community, because it just, I think in a sense, by disseminating that to people who don't get it, it just confuses them. And that doesn't mm -hmm. do anybody any good. Also, you know, just... Right. Going online to get mad at random things or laugh at people, if it's at their expense, is not necessarily all that healthy for you. Let me no, send you uh, a... Really. I have the video on, but no sound. So... Okay. Watch it with your peril, but... Uh, tell <laughs> the listeners okay. who the Twitter user is and what they are yelling at you. Oh my gosh, okay. It's loading here. On my very slow phone. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. The speed actual uh, famously uh, crazy <laughs> Randy Quaid. Okay. Fox is dead to me. Let's see. What does he say? Fox News daytime ratings have completely <laughs> collapsed. <laughs> he's he's basically put his face directly really close to the camera so you can only see his like the main part of his face and there's a strobe light of red and green flashing while he's screaming that we need to get watch Fox, not watch Fox News anymore. Oh my gosh. This is terrifying. He looks like an insane Santa Claus. It has for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not new. But I, I'm thinking Christmas, especially because yep. of the red and green. <laughs> I'm sure that was some, like, dumb psychological choice about color that they use in film. But it's quite it's quite scary. Yeah. Ugh. Okay, that's the, enough. <laughs> this idea that uh, Fox News is not consistently, or I guess is not conservative, a.k.a. loyal to Trump enough, is obviously, to anyone who does not watch that network, is, I don't want to say insane, but it is <laughs> laughably dumb. Like, or you're just laughably misinformed, or you've... Uh, what? It, <laughs> I think I'm stealing this analogy from one of the guys on Pod Save America, but he was okay. talking about how Democrats need to find a way to sell the population to eat more of their vegetables, while places like Fox News are going, here, want to just mainline some heroin? And this is, <laughs> I don't know how you get worse from that. Like, is the analogy then 
this is essentially MAGA and Trump and Randy Quaid uh, saying that, <laughs> no, get some stuff that's cut, you know, cut with fentanyl now. Like, I... <laughs> Or a little bit of rat poison to spice it up. Like, I don't... Yeah. Like, like it basically, we're not angry enough. <laughs> what Fox yeah. has been spouting is not is not angry enough. And, you know, it's not that... I don't think Fox wants to be angry enough, but while they do pander to the angry right, they also... Everyone on that network relies upon money from wealthy conservatives, Republicans, who want to sell products, want to have an economy mm-hmm. that works, and want to have, make sure that they're, essentially the stock market stays stable. So they mm-hmm. don't want to see a, in this case, a bad transition that wipes out their wealth. So they've got pressure from them. And, I, you know, obviously we'll probably turn on them too, but I thought that was mm-hmm. a, a funny thing to start with, but uh, <laughs> before we get too much into that... It was a that, scary thing to start with, yeah. yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll go through my little quick questions here, although some of them aren't so quick. Sure. Uh, we, you and I That's talked fine. about this off mic, what, a month ago? Or was it three weeks ago? How long ago was the it, actual it... election? <laughs> <laughs> what year is this? <laughs> Which How long is March of 2020 I, are we in? <laughs> yes. I think by the calendar, it was three weeks ago, even though it feels like much longer. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> How did the results match up with, we'll say what your expectations, which I have here, but also what you were maybe hoping for? If so you allowed I, yourself to hope. <laughs> I was going to say, like, let me flip that around because I was pretty <laughs> pessimistic. <laughs> I, I, leading up to the election, you know, I, I said pretty plainly to you and to others, I was really nervous that Trump was going to win again. But my logical expectation was that he was not. So I would say at least the final result makes sense. In, in the way that 2016 did not make sense. That 2016 was so ridiculously shocking and surprising that at least this, at least this election, I can understand a little better. So um, it, it aligned with what I had hoped for. Uh, uh, it, it was the result, obviously, that I wished would happen. Um, but uh, but I guess in some ways I was really more fearful that the fight over the votes in the end would be a lot more vicious. Mm-hmm. So even though it took five days for the election to be officially called um, five nail biting days, I thought it was going to be a lot scarier while those votes were still being counted a lot. I, I expected more violence and more vitriol. Um, but it it went a lot <laughs> more logically than I had expected, I guess, if that all makes sense. It does. Um, <laughs> how do you feel about, um, we won't get into like down ballot as far as state by state, but what are your thoughts about how the Senate races sh- uh, shook out as well as, uh, I don't have as much information on the 
house races, to be honest with you, but on mm-hmm. how those ended up. You know, um, there were a, a few disappointments. I was really hoping that the Senate would flip, and I, I thought it really could. It still can, right? There's two runoffs yes. in Georgia that, that's still a slight possibility. Um, we'll correct this later if I'm wrong, but I feel like mm-hmm. there's two different outcomes where technically they can flip it. And okay. that's to win both seats, I believe uh-huh. they, like, or is it, <sighs> shit, forgive me. Um, one of the two. If they win both seats, they need uh, VP elect Kamala Harris to be the tiebreaker. Or if they win one seat, she becomes a tiebreaker. But either okay. way, it's razor thin. Um, yeah. Even yeah. with both seats. Okay. Yeah, but as far as like the down ballot stuff, like just the general sense that I got was that I think a lot of positive things happened. Um. That I feel like there was some good diversity. There's more women in Congress coming into this next year. There's several more um, uh, representatives that are of Native American descent, which mm-hmm. is also like a huge change in our country, even though it's only 2020, you know. Um, so uh, some of the elections I thought shook out, shook out in a pretty positive way um, as far as uh, inclusivity and um hopefully uh, uh, diversity goes and then also just the number of votes cast in general mm-hmm. yeah even participation was a lot was a lot better we could still do better and I hope we um, as you know as Americans encourage each other to continue to participate at such high levels and to get even more people involved in the vote agreed totally and it should be too yeah even more like Trump got more votes this time too. It was just more people came out and voted. Right, exactly. But, I mean, as far as, like, the, you know, you were asking me about down ballot, and now I'm going back to the presidential race. But, you know, at least least those more votes, it felt like they actually mattered this time. The Mm -hmm. fucking Electoral College, pardon my French, but I think that should be its official name now, is the fucking Electoral College. (laughs) It should be. It really should be, um, because it's messed up several elections in our own lifetime, Noel. Um, so, so at least there were enough, (laughs) it's so crazy to think that in a democracy, you need X amount more million votes to overrule the electoral college. So at least the popular vote actually did win out this time. Yeah. And it should be noted too, that, uh, if Trump were to have won the electoral college this year, it would have marked the first time in history that a president was elected then reelected without winning the popular vote mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and it's uh let's see so george w bush won sorry he lost the popular vote in 2000 mm-hmm. narrowly won it in 2004 mm-hmm. and then trump has laughably lost it both times and mm-hmm. Now, well, I shouldn't say I think, but there is some, oh, another thing I should mention, quick rabbit hole thing, listening to Mm -hmm. the Bulwark podcast, uh, a lot of never Trump conservatives or whatever they want to call themselves, people that broke with Trump either in this, uh, after he was elected or before, have a lot higher expectations and, uh, or at least have a better view 
of Republicans than I do. Because uh, mm. some of the, what they were saying is, had Trump actually ma- like managed to win this time, they, Republicans that is, probably would have c- continued on with this, how do we suppress more and more votes, and how do we do it yeah. even more effectively in things called swing states. Mm-hmm. But now they might... I don't. I, I don't believe this for a second. I think they'll still crack down and try and make it even harder to vote. But they might try and find a way to go. Hey, this looks really bad. We're trying to do minority rule. Like we're out in the open about it. But <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, that's one of the. If you can call it that, the a benefit we can take away from the Trump presidency is that a lot of these problems that we didn't know necessarily we had are now in full view problems most of us knew about i shouldn't say most of us but a lot of us knew about are like now bright red yeah and hopefully that will do something i don't know if it will um i'm gonna move on here in a second my thoughts mainly on the senate races because i'm with you the general broke for the presidential election broke the way i Thought it would, not thought, but was hoping it would, because I, like 2016, I did, I wasn't going to believe the polling. Um, mm-hmm. On NPR, they had a, I believe it was a New Hampshire Republican, either pollster, no, a pollster, it was a, I believe it was just a Republican <laughs> no strategist. There's the word. Who'd been That's around a big for a word. While. I wouldn't have found it. <laughs> and he was talking about New Hampshire's early returns and how, if that kept up nationally from where it was in 2016, it meant likely a Biden victory, but not as much as what people were predicting. And he said mm. what they were running into is the quote-unquote shy Trump voter. And I oh. think that cannot go unignored. Well, I was going to say, and, and that's kind of a funny concept um, from somebody who is not a Trump supporter, because <laughs> I... I live in a place that's a crossroads of the conservative sections of Colorado. (laughs) So they cross my liberal uh, county very often. And they're quite boisterous about their support for Trump. So a shy Trump voter, I know they're out there, but I don't think about them. And I think you make a really valid point. And so has this other strategist. Like, there were probably a lot of people that were voting for him and they were not boisterous. And so they're harder to track and harder to quantify in that sense. Mm Mm-hmm. And at the same time, there's some data out there that shows, mainly in the swing states, a lot of, like, obviously, the voters that mainly went to, like, went from Obama to Trump came back to the Democrats this time, and then some, Mm. but it was mainly Mm -hmm. the same counties. And Mm. some of the thought and, like, conjecture behind it is that it was more of a rebuke of Trump. So it was a lot of people that they might necessarily be, you know, pro-progressive or anything like that. They may not have flipped their ideology or even their partisan affiliation. It was that, okay, we're going to send this guy home. And where I think that kind of plays out and why I think that might have some validity to it is I was more bullish on getting more Senate seats back. I Mm. thought um, 
and it wasn't believing the the polling or anything. I mm-hmm. thought that one of these, like, I I was pretty sure Gardner was done. Like he, <laughs> he just can't. Uh, he misplayed everything possible throughout uh, the Trump years. Yeah, and you can attest to it more than me, but. Um, in Colorado, the politics have been shifting more and more towards being an actual blue state as opposed to a purple state. Right. And I think, knowing Coloradans the way I do, there may have been some appeal when he was elected to have one of each in the Senate representing the state. You know, you've got the uh, kind of the senator that represents Denver and then the one that represents the rest of the state, which is how a lot of the rest of the state views. Right. Uh, it's kind of like, well, fair is fair. Half the state yeah. is blue, half is red. It's all good. Yeah. I well, get it. <laughs> to use our fun term centrism here, there is that appeal <laughs> that let's balance yeah. it out. And uh, we won't get to that. So, yeah. I, I think uh, yeah, let's not. <laughs> <laughs> that was a foregone conclusion. I thought Collins was probably going to go. Uh, it was kind of close. Well, it was close, but it got closer at one point, and then as more of the Ballots got counted. Uh, Collins' lead got a little bit more, but uh, Gideon, her opponent there, conceded fairly early on because, you know, uh, some people actually believe in math and uh, have shame, which, which we'll get into later here as well. Okay. And I, I for one, and oh, I want to ask you about this. I'll say what I, my thoughts first, and then let me know what you think. Okay. I was pretty angry with Chuck Schumer because I did not think his strategy of kind of forcing Mitch McConnell to spend a bunch of money in that Kentucky Senate race was a Mm -hmm. good idea. Mm -hmm. And I also think part of that problem with it was the candidate that he was really bullish on and put forward looked very good on paper, but was very poor on the stage was very like didn't really connect with voters just kind of connected with this idea of hey uh let's put an ad together that'll look good and just blast it towards you know democratic donors right when and i I think really what the dems need to do a whole lot more is find good local candidates especially ones that are minorities in all sorts of different ways and people who can really drive support and get out and see their constituents and put money behind them whether or not they win i think that sends a better message than hey we're just kind of this big democrat business and we're here to you're a part of our overall strategy Mm -hmm. and I, i thought that was a misplay and yeah so what what are your thoughts on that well, um, I I was not as informed on the details of um, of that race as you were or, and are, uh, but what what I thought was that, you know, McConnell is such a piece of shit. The great he's gonna of be, democracy. He, he's going to be hard to get out of office, mm-hmm. especially when it's on a presidential ticket as well. Um, trying to do a split ballot candidate for his particular constituency, I felt like was almost a lost cause. Um, 
and maybe those efforts and those requests for donations could have been put to better use in other mm -hmm. places. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, other candidates in that region that may have been more uniquely appealing. Um, I think that's kind of how you're describing yeah. um, other potential candidates for that race may have been more successful um, even if they didn't win. And maybe with that kind of unique element, they wouldn't have also needed all that extra special attention. They still could have done really well on their own um, just by sheer force of personality and popularity in the region instead of just the Democratic National um, folks like Schumer really, really sticking it um, in people's faces, I guess. There's a piece from The Onion that I, and I can't remember what exactly the words are, but essentially uh, McGrath, who is the Democratic candidate against uh, McConnell, blew the rest of the campaign largesse that she received on an ornate uh, concession speech party. Oh dear. Yeah. Okay. Um, it, was, it was kind of like that. I I donated some money to what is it, Act Blue, uh -huh. and I think going forward I will try and pick out specific ways to donate to specific candidates. Mm, instead of like a general yeah. like pool. Sure. I think money would have been better spent, um, obviously in Georgia. Um, yeah. <laughs> and possibly in well another one like, I guess same thing. Up in Maine, Gideon mm. outspent Collins by a lot. Mm. And that was another problem where people knew Susan Collins. And yeah. It, it's, we've talked about this before. It's, it's tough against an uh, incumbent. Yeah. Okay. We've kind of already touched on this, but what do you think went right in the election? Like, as far as whether it's strategy or how things are shifting around demographics, whatever, like how things are progressing for lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I think, I think definitely, um, you know, it's, it's kind of, I feel kind of weird saying this, like the focus on the swing States obviously worked out. It did because um, of the States that did flip blue this time, uh, you know, those were really, really key and really, really important. So obviously some strategies did work well. Um, I feel weird saying that in the sense that I don't think that's how it should be. <laughs> I don't think we should have such things as swing states. Again, that's just Agreed. a gripe against the Electoral College. Um, and placing if I can add emphasis... a stat here. Yes, please. Trump received more votes from Republicans in L.A. County than he did in all of West Virginia. Isn't that incredible? It's, it's I, silly. It makes your vote, like, you don't matter if you don't live in a swing state. It's just, right. yeah. Yeah. And and also, it doesn't give any any voice to those small states. No. It doesn't. It's, because Who cares it's, about Wyoming? It, it's, yeah, it's still completely imbalanced in that sense. Um, so, you know, but obviously, like, for the Democratic Party, and um, just very more broadly, getting Trump out of office, and winning a few more not pro-Trump seats in the con in Congress overall, that strategy did work. Um, so I think that's a good thing, I guess. <laughs> and um, um, I don't know. I think this also really is reflecting just how the country is changing. Um, 
where people are living and the views they hold are changing. Um, you know, the, those pockets of progressivism in those in those deeply red states, you know, those are mm -hmm. growing voices. Um, most people in our country are living in urban areas uh, or suburb areas. Um, so, of course, those clusters of people, that's that's going to change the overall look of things. Um, you know, so so who knows how things will continue to change over the next few years. Um, you know, there's more young adult voters now. Mm -hmm. um, I, are, do you know, no, are the, are the boomer generation, are they still statistically the largest voting bloc? I, I don't think know they for are. sure, but I think, I believe you're correct. But it, it's not by much, you know, there's a lot, there's more younger people out there. Who showed up to I, vote too. Who showed up to vote. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, there's plenty of conservative young people out there too. Um, and a lot of them didn't vote for Trump. A lot of them did. Um, but I don't know. I guess at least in this election, it did feel like those uh, those votes did actually count. Um, that's one of the biggest struggles with voting in our country is our structure just is so discouraging towards participating because it's like, well, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Or how am I supposed to get time off? Or, you know, uh, there's no voting uh, stations within, you know, 30 miles of me and I don't have a car, you know, like yeah. there's all these, these, all, all these little roadblocks. And I think you made a good point earlier that um, maybe some of those problems have been so well highlighted by the struggles of this year. I think, I think uh, the pandemic emphasized those problems because those lines were even longer mm -hmm. because everybody had to be six feet apart. It really, really highlighted those problems that have been there this whole time. Um, in a way that made it so dramatically visible that, that, you know, maybe some things will start to change. So those are the, those are the things I went, I think went right. To add on your point of the pandemic allowed an even greater opportunity for disenfranchisement. Which... Mm, that too. That's <laughs> okay. Please continue. Go. <laughs> oh, I, I just, I think that's a good point. Um, one of the things I included here on my on the show notes is that piece that kind of talks about you know how much sway did black voters in particular hold in again swing states and some of the data sh so far shows that turnout was about the same but again it's the freaking pandemic and it's a president that has been stoking fear against mm -hmm. black people, people of color, um, mm -hmm. really any minority. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think this kind of, it's not widespread, but this, there's sort of a little bit of this from, uh, now that I'm more dialed into Never Trump, that's not, uh, uh, who's that, J uh, Rick Wilson, let's say that Jagaloon Rick Wilson. Um, who is just, like, my friends know this, do not send me anything from Rick Wilson, I don't care. I think he's a straight-up grifter. Uh, anyways, speaking of being very <laughs> online, uh, but, yeah, that's, that's impressive. Like, m most of this, like, again, quotes, quote-unquote, swing states, don't have vote-by-mail. I was telling a friend of mine who, I'm gonna ask him before I post this part, but okay. he is, uh, 
he's an attorney. He's very bright. He's very caring. Like he and I can bounce in and out of political conversations to talking about music and family stuff and just joking. It's 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 fairly. He's an easy guy to talk to, but mm-hmm. he went from a pretty proud Trump voter, like not that he was voting for the horrible stuff. He he called him uncouth. What was his word? Um, in 2016 to going, okay, that was a mistake to then voting for him again. And he was saying like, Oh, you you think it should be easier to vote? Absolutely. Like, and that's not because it's the boilerplate progressive Democrat position, whatever. There are actually studies that show that the more voter participation goes up, the less gerrymandering there is, the Mm -hmm. less, kind of extremes there are as far as partisanship because mm-hmm. if you have like like you were saying michelle a, a state that doesn't no one cares about they're just not going to vote um if you have a like someone who's viewed as a political behemoth because their district is just gerrymandered to hell to mm-hmm. be red or blue they're just not going to vote and, and they're not gonna get good primary chan- challengers either <laughs> he didn't realize, though, that here in Washington State, of all places, the Secretary of State, who is effectively in charge of our elections, is a Republican. Her name is Kim Wyman, and she does a fantastic job. And we have mail-in voting, and it's super easy. Mm-hmm. Like, I walked two blocks from my house, dropped my ballot in a box by the local library, and then could track it on my phone... Because they have it, like, on the website, you can do that. And I mm-hmm. got to see that they received it, and it was accepted. Done. There you go. And in also, in your pamphlet, where you get your ballot, comes a little voter handbook that gives you who's running, different bills, different local stuff. And it gives you a summary. It gives you the side against, the side for... And you get to go from there. It's it's awesome. And so I don't <laughs> understand why this is a problem. Um, I'm going on for way too long. So <laughs> I, I think we probably won't have to go into this one too much. But what would you say went wrong? What would you like to see from Biden on a policy basis? And what do you think his constraints will be? There we go. Um. <laughs> <laughs> um. I mean, I would I would like to see I, I he's already, you know, with the transition period right now, it's it's kind of already being in play. But I would like to see um, the civil service forces actually being upped again um, to proper staffing to handle um, to handle things like pandemics or immigration concerns or um, deportation. You know what I mean? Like seeing, seeing the government actually like being back up to a properly functional level would be good. Um, uh, I would, mm, what else would I like to see? I think healthcare still needs to be readdressed um, in a lot of ways. I don't know. Right now, I just I I want to feel like not scared in the morning anymore. You know what I mean? Like I, that's the policy I, yep. I'm looking for. Like, can I just not be terrified to be in this country anymore, um, <laughs> and embarrassed by it in so many ways? 
Um, but as far as his constraints go, that that I really don't know, because very, very bluntly, I'll say, I don't think he'll have as many constraints because he is not black mm-hmm. as the last president, the president he served under. I don't think I, I find it hard to believe that McConnell will give McConnell and his cohort in the Senate will give him as hard of a time as they gave Obama simply because of who Biden is. And he is not Barack Obama. Great point. Okay, I'm not being too like no, no, I, I, with I, that because, um, yeah, I, I and who knows? Like the next two months are are going to be very, very important um, as the pandemic gets worse again, and we're waiting on uh, vaccinations to be approved and sent out and stuff. Um, so I, I guess I really just want his policy to be like reliability. Um, some type of stability like even even just like performative stability yeah. <laughs> like not being an, an insane psychopath on twitter exactly. just as long as he doesn't do that uh, that'll that'll feel good for a while <laughs> this is totally anecdotal based on my conversation with a single person but okay. i do have a friend in wisconsin who i was convinced was going to vote for trump Again, because he aired pro-Trump sentiment on Facebook, and then also in like kind of group chats we've had, mm-hmm. and he said, "Oh, I voted for Joe Jorgensen, who was the Libertarian candidate." And mm-hmm. I'm like, Interesting, and like I was like, "That's kind of cool." And then later on, he said, I, didn't, "I was messing with you. I didn't vote for Joe Jorgensen. I voted for Biden." And I told him like, <laughs> in this group chat, it's supposed to be about football so one <laughs> yeah. of the guys which is not politicized yeah, exactly. at all <laughs> yeah. and one of the guys always jumps in and says no politics to the point where we just will kind of vaguely include a political reference just to mess with him sure of course <laughs> and so I'm waiting for him to chime in the whole time but my this friend from wisconsin says i just wanted a leader who actually leads and so I think you're uh, mm. in good uh, <laughs> good company there, Michelle. And <laughs> your point about not like waking up and feeling worried reminded me yeah. of seeing Mark Maron live right after Trump was uh, inaugurated, and he said something about not wanting uh-huh. to wake up and be afraid of his phone. Like, like what did he do now? Yeah. <laughs> oh fuck! What's going on now? How about you, Noel? What, why don't you answer your own questions there? I, I'm very curious as to what what you think, um, what you hope Biden policy will be and what his constraints might be. Uh, well, from a strictly selfish standpoint, but I also think this will help I mean, this will help you and help other people as well, our age who were told to go out and get an education and uh, it'll pay for itself. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea that's been floated out there that he can sign an executive order that will get $50,000 of the student loan debt forgiven. Uh, mm-hmm. For me, that would take care of all of mine and then some. So it's not like, mm-hmm. uh, I I should mention, I don't have a huge burden, but it would be nice and uh, make yeah. my, my credit score go up. <laughs> um, sure. <laughs> really? No, I'm with you, though. Like, there's part of why I was down with uh, the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare or people that I'm still blown away that not everyone knows that the same thing. 
Yeah. You know, there, there needs to be some tweaks made. Like, that was the idea from the beginning, was, like we talked about uh, on a podcast that hasn't aired yet, the fucking Electoral College was <laughs> not designed to be permanent. It was designed to be, like, fixed as things went along. And that's the same idea with the Affordable Care Act. And a lot of pieces of legislation actually should be tweaked. It was, this is the best we can do right now. Let's move mm-hmm. on. We can't solve everything at the time, especially given the problems and nature of politics at the time. And I think as we're finding out, nature of politics really at all times as far as uh, crazy conservatism. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I do totally agree with that uh, with you that Oh Biden, Oh Biden, God damn it! What am I, Sarah Palin? Um, <laughs> that was uh, good. <laughs> Obama faced whether it was on purpose or not. I think there's a mixture of both, and I'm not sure if either are forgivable uh, barriers to getting anything done. Uh, you know, they were uh, Republicans were not the party of no; they were the party of hell no. I don't think. Biden yeah. will have that same thing if it's something that legitimately appeals or, like, they can explain and say, hey, no, white voter, this will help you. Oh, cool. Uh, so I, I think you're 100% on there. I was going to add um, this piece that hopefully, because I'm going to try and get it finished by Friday of this week, so it'll be up by the time this gets posted. Um, I mentioned this article, speaking of limiting the vote, uh, or sorry, it's a column by Andrew Sullivan from 2015, maybe 20, maybe spring of 2016. And it's hard to say this is exactly what he meant because Michelle, if you've read Andrew Sullivan, it's hard to stay awake because there's just every paragraph seems like a book, kind of like me, but he's a lot smarter than I am. Uh, <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> but he's very much in that tradition of, you know. Burkean conservatism, all that stuff where classical conservatism, like the elites are, are the ones that need to be protected. They're the ones that they're elites because they have the best ability. Uh, he mentions how really authoritarians have come into play or strongmen from the play after periods of what he says is late stage democracy. And so he kind of mm-hmm. tries to play it off that Obama was too egalitarian. Obama spent too much time giving rights or maybe what we call identity politics as far as minorities, which seems – I've read the piece three times now. I don't think he ever calls oh, out the fact that it was a response to a thing that's always existed, which is backlash against uh, – or a, a backlash towards a perceived threat to white supremacy. Hmm. Yeah. So I think that's a, that's a very good observation. Man, that was a long time to say that. Um, <laughs> I think he can get more done without democratic Senate. I think there is a lot of motion behind and a lot of um, momentum behind just getting anything done. And I think that'll bring a right. few more, since it's so close, a few more conservatives in the line. Oh, and it should be mentioned, mm-hmm. too, that no matter what happens in Georgia, 
there's still Joe Manchin, who, while caucuses with the Democrats, tends to vote pretty Trumpy. Like, I believe mm. he voted for all of Trump's Supreme Court nominees. Mm. Um, okay. And then, for, as far as the center versus liberals, I think that'll be more of a fun thing for the media to talk about. Right. Um, and I, I, I don't want to coach it or whatever in a uh, couch it in a kind of adults <laughs> versus the youths thing is getting stuff done. I think it's mainly it's focusing on not as much messaging on how things will help as getting people actually out into the like communities and say, hey, here's what we're working on. We, we might not be able to get everything that we want and everything that you want, but mm-hmm. here's how these things can help you. And uh, I, I want to see a combination, I guess I should say, of policy stuff that helps everybody out, but also then a political arm of that that is focused on grassroots outreach and not just yeah. what micro-targeting is that what they're calling it now. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's my a thousand word piece on that. And then, okay, so on to the next question here, Michelle. And this is, I think, it's less words in the question, but the implications are a lot more insane. Uh oh. Okay. <laughs> what do we do with Republicans or conservatives, like, and not just uh, like Trump voters? But what do we do with these uh, never-Trump types that are without a home and want to find a spot in the Democratic Party, even though a fair amount of their agenda is fairly anathema to what progressives are trying to do? Mm. Mm, That's a good question. Um, Because... it's it the word the word that I want to use um, for pro Trumpers is like regression. That's a good yep. You know, like as opposed to conservatism or uh, progressivism, it's like make America great again. Just that as a concept is like let's go back in time. Let's yep. pull things back. Is it, that's not necessarily conservatism. No. And. I mean, the let's let's be just really honest. It's not exactly like the Democratic Party is really that progressive. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've even... heard them described as center left, which I don't necessarily agree with either. But you're, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, like you know, what the Obama administration was able to accomplish with the Affordable Care Act is is so f- far falling short of what a lot of people really want healthcare change to look like. So it's it's not like I don't know. It's it's really not like the Democratic Party is way out there in the wings. I think people like Bernie Sanders and a lot of people who voted for him um really want it to go a lot farther but it's not like that's where it's at right now so maybe maybe there is some commonality there 
um, which would probably make a lot of people really sad and upset to think about that. (laughs) (laughs) Never Trump or conservatives and the Democratic Party actually have a lot in common, but I think they do in a lot of ways, Noel. So, I mean, I guess it's like everybody has has, has the right to to view the world as they want to and vote the way they want to. So it, you know, maybe they really shouldn't be treated as anybody different um, (laughs) or um, (laughs) like somehow welcomed, welcomed into the, the, you know, like the never Trumper group. Um, I don't, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Um, I don't think this is making a lot of sense, but it's kind of like, that's my fault. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And, and, but, and there's probably not really a good answer for it because I don't know. I, even for the pro Trumper people, it's not like I want, I, I want them to, you know, suffer. I want everybody to be fine. I want everybody to be well. That's, that's all I really want. And I think that's what a lot of people out there want. They want their families, their children, and their futures to be secure. And um, we have very different perspectives on what that means. But I think the never Trumpers and uh, Democratic voters uh, probably have a lot more in common than they realize. So maybe there isn't as big of a gap as as, uh, people like to talk about. We talk about it like there's this massive chasm between between different people in this country. And I, I don't think that gap is nearly as wide as uh, we make it out to be. That's an excellent point. Makes me think of, uh, I like to tell people that I'm in favor of policies and political groups and uh, parties that push helping everybody, push helping people and mm-hmm. not advocate for punishing people. And punishing mm-hmm. the right people and not scapegoating people, uh, mm-hmm. you know, fascism. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in, in case anybody was wondering, we're not fans of fascism on this podcast. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Although we'll, because uh, we're almost at an hour, so we'll, we'll avoid getting to that. In fact, we're going to avoid. Uh, <laughs> that was just next... a recap of last season, that's yes. all. <laughs> uh, to tie this back into kind of how we, we started the podcast. Uh, I'm at a loss myself, and this is another part of the piece I'm writing, which, uh, Michelle, to your credit, I'm doing what you said, which is just write everything, and then I'm going mm-hmm. to employ a team that includes you and several <laughs> others to just say, hey, what do I need to cut? What needs to get moved around? Like, it's yeah. just throwing everything. So right now it's a fair amount of words. Uh, believe it or not uh, but I'm at a loss with what we do uh, not what we do with Trump people because that sounds silly like let's just put them on the margins of society and uh, never talk to them again but how do we even begin to engage with them just on a political discussion and political rhetoric political anything uh, even really like almost philosophical level how do we engage with them when we don't have an agreed upon view of facts or uh again what we talked about before where you know trump is not uh the disease he's a symptom like he the disease has been Mm -hmm. long existent uh 
I was thinking about this tonight where The Economist, is it Andrew Laffer? We'll skip that, Edward Laffer. Uh, something Laffer, famously known for the Laffer Curve, who's somewhat known as the father of at least what we think of as supply-side economics or trickle-down economics. Mm. The story goes that he presented his theory at a restaurant over drinks via a napkin with no numbers on it, just drew a curve to none other than Dick Cheney and Donald oh, Rumsfeld. God. Oh, dear. And when asked about, well, what, how does it work? He goes, well, you know, I don't really have numbers, just it works. Well, what, what does it not work? <laughs> well, you know, there's things and stuff, and it should work. And a historian on the, um, it's a podcast called The Heist, mentioned that there is some data to back up that the reason that trickle-down economics has been such a, like, it, we can't get rid of it, is it's the easiest thing to explain. Is mm. it works because we, says, we say it does. The whole, uh, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats, and you have someone going, but what about the ebbs and flows? Shut up! Like it, it doesn't. It doesn't work that way. It's just easy to believe. And in the case right. of Fox News viewers, you have them being fed things that they want to believe, twenty four seven. Really, uh, when in the case of Seth Rich and other conspiracy theories, they take stuff that was born randomly on Reddit, and Hannity or Carlson will read it on the air, and then the entire network will cover it for three days as if it's newsworthy right and even with uh i'm not saying i'm necessarily worried that newsmax presents a wholesale challenge to fox news i think it'll just kind of it'll be moving um what do they call it moving a pawn from one space to another like you're doing a checker like it just it doesn't yeah. do anything it's just, just shuffling things around Right, yeah. I I don't know how to engage with that, I guess I should say. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And you, if you want to talk about it, <laughs> have a lot more experience dealing with that than I do. Mm. What are your thoughts there? Like, do you have any tips or what are your feelings on it, I guess? I mean... Only in the sense that I just, I try to be patient and <laughs> try to be kind. Because um, I'm, I'm not even sure I really have any good, uh, good strategy to engage with, with that. Um, it's, it's, it's very, very challenging. And um, this particular year, I've mostly tried to avoid those situations, I'll be honest. <laughs> Because it is really hard. Um, but maybe now that, you know, the stakes have always been so high, though. And now that maybe that the particular person to which this was all kind of like surrounding and focused upon, maybe when it's not so centralized and that person's not in the White House anymore, it might be a little easier to discuss things because the high stakes game is over at this point. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. 
Um, at least that's how I'm choosing to view it and try to be optimistic about it. To tie this into our uh, theme for this season and not get uh, bogged down in fascism too much, <laughs> it's just baffling to think that even Richard Nixon didn't pull these same stunts. Uh, yeah. He hasn't done it yet, but Trump has already tweeted out years ago that he has the full authority, and that he has it from legal scholars, which is not true, that he can pardon himself. And I shouldn't say it's not true. No one really knows. No one's done it before. Uh, right. Nixon didn't do it. <laughs> like, yeah, there's no legal precedent, so that's the question, you know. And it's, in a sense... Uh, just to kind of wrap this up here, I think a big part of what we should think about when it comes to guardrails going forward is not so much the actual, what you call them, parliamentarian or uh, constitutional constraints that mm-hmm. are presented to a wildly weird, wildly gross, wildly stupid executive. But it really is, uh, the best constraint we seem to have had so far is a sense of honor, dignity, morality, and for current times, shame. Mm. And uh, that's where... I guess I'm at a loss, again, is I don't see the shame thing popping up. I see sadness. I see anger. Mm. But I don't necessarily see any, like, oh, God, we voted for Donald Trump. Oh, God, like, are people mad at me because I I backed this guy? No, Mm -hmm. they're mad at me because I'm right and they're wrong. So, I, I, but I totally agree with, uh, being patient, um, even if, uh, I shouldn't say they don't deserve it, uh, being nice, because nothing comes of being a jerk, uh, no. as much as a certain president and fans of a network seem to think, uh, there's nothing strong, there's nothing admirable, there's nothing not pitiful about being an asshole. And that's where I guess I'd want to go is how do we get people to to learn that? And uh, Michelle, to bring it back to what you said, as far as, uh, you know, what went right and kind of what gives you some hope earlier in the podcast is that with the changing demographics and more and more neighborhoods and towns and cities looking less, uh, is it homogenous or homogeneous? Homogenous is how I prefer okay. to say it. That's what I thought too. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll say, say it here, but we'll uh, say homogenous. <laughs> yeah. Um, less homogenous. You know, it's, it's hard to not like somebody who doesn't look like you, who doesn't talk like you, who doesn't think like you. If you see them, if you talk to them, if you deal with them on a regular basis, and I, I guess maybe that's where, because I, I feel like 
we're going to end the podcast here uh, before getting to good thing of the week on a very kind of dour note, which is these people are just goddamn lost, man. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I think yeah, it's let's just say that treat people, treat each other well, uh, even if you're upset that uh, I, I put it this my piece too. No one's really happy right now. Um, right. <laughs> regardless yeah. of who your candidate was. There's mm-hmm. COVID. People are being told not to travel to visit their families and friends on Thanksgiving, um, which everyone's reading into. This is going to be the way it is for Christmas. And um, things have just been not good because we haven't had a leader who leads or cares seems to care more about using the office to feel good about himself, which you know, narcissism. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, but it, unless you have anything else on that subject, Michelle, do you want to get into uh, the good thing of the week? Yeah, I think I, I think I'm, I'm ready. Okay. Let's do good thing of the week. Do you have one? I do. Um, and it's going to sound silly. Most of mine do, I guess, but <laughs> it really is that, I feel like we're at a point, not just that, and I'm not like celebrating or gloating or anything, that we don't have to talk about Trump all the time anymore. Also, I think there's an appetite, not just amongst people who don't like Trump, not Democrats, people that want to go, hey, how do we fix this? And I think we're starting to creep in even from the quietly or shy Trump voters or the Republican Party that is slowly behind the scenes saying, okay, we, we got we to gotta get this transition going, is for as mm-hmm. much as the guardrails were tested here, there's a bunch of people I think are seeing like, all right, this wasn't about this one guy. Let's figure out ways not to do this again. And also, uh, let's, uh, for that matter, let's go on to figure out how to tie this guy to the Republican Party as a boat anchor, which he is. And let's move <laughs> on from pointing out every stupid thing he says and does in his Twitter account. And uh, I'm pretty sure, and I know they'll get some backlash for it, but I don't think that Trump's tweeting days are going to be uh, as friendly to him, if that was a thing, mm. once mm-hmm. he's out of office. I think it'll be, this isn't yeah. this isn't noteworthy. This is a non-Santa Claus-looking version of Randy Quaid tweeting quack theories yeah. at people. <laughs> yeah. I, we're ready to move on. You know, we're yes. ready to not talk about him anymore and talk about him um, in, in past tense terms. And I feel like that's the way to, that's the greatest thing we can do to, to eliminate his power is, um, you know, we tried impeachment, <laughs> people tried investigations, all kinds of things that because of him being the president didn't stick. And because of his um, sycophantic political party being behind him didn't stick. But I mean, just imagine not having to talk about him anymore. 
Mm-hmm. That's that's when that's when it'll be done. That'll hurt him the most. That'll get him out of office. That'll get him out of our minds. And that's the best thing we can do is just start ignoring him sometime here in the near future. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As you and I have said before, make government boring again. Like let's Yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> let's limit uh the political sc- stuff and um the need to discuss politics to people who, for whatever reason, um, I'm not mentioning names like myself or anything, uh, are just interested in it and get caught in the weeds. Let's make it something where you can go on and, uh, like I'm seeing right now, apparently a new thing is to escape the mental space of COVID is going on Zillow and looking at properties in far-flung regions that might be interesting. Like, let's do stuff like that. <laughs> let's do stuff that we let's can do fun look things. at. Yeah, exactly. Learn if you want to learn. Um, let's not make fun of, like, let's not have something where to try and deal with a bizarre, horrible leader, we're going and finding ways, or not finding ways, finding people and things on the internet that mock him to make it feel like it's not as terrible so yeah that's that's my good thing is we're almost done we're almost done i like it <laughs> what about you michelle um i uh am taking an extra day off of work this week that's my hooray good thing week. yeah that's a good thing. hooray it is a very good thing <laughs> it's been a long arduous road i'm ready for some days off so <laughs> do you have a lot of uh vacation time left like i think almost everyone does now because what do you do during a pandemic oh yeah right i think all of my vacation time is left i have no idea where that's gonna go or what's gonna happen does it roll so over? i'm gonna just uh uh yeah i think it will roll it over so i'm not but it's like you know things are just like in colorado we have the new dial system of color so we just got oh, turned to red which is the like safer it's home. And so we're starting to limit our patient count again and trying to figure out what we need to do. So like <laughs> vacation is still very far from my mind. I'm just glad I get <laughs> three days off this week instead of two. <laughs> and that's only because of Thanksgiving. So I'm, I am thankful for Thanksgiving. There you go. It's not a normal Thanksgiving, but I'm sure fucking glad it's here. So <laughs> cheers to that. Uh, Cheers to you, and cheers to you out there. Uh, Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, Noel. Cheers to you. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, Noel.